0: This is The Clinical Countdown from Fox Rehabilitation. One topic, five takeaways in 10 minutes or less. The Clinical Countdown from Fox Rehabilitation. Uh, Welcome to FoxCast. I'm your host, physical therapist, Jimmy McKay. On the program this afternoon is Fox PT, Connie Lewis. Connie, welcome to the program.
1: Thanks for having me. All
0: right. Today, we're going to do a different type of episode. We're trying a different format. We're going to look at one topic, polypharmacy in older adults, with five takeaway points for you, and we'll do it in just 10 minutes. Connie, do you think you're up to the task? I'm ready. Get your stopwatches out because we know you're busy. So we want to get right to something that's really important in paying attention to polypharmacy with older adults. I'm going to synchronize my swatch. I'm not sure anybody says that anymore. (laughs) I don't think so. So when we're talking about polypharmacy with older adults, medication management, where does your head go first? What's our first takeaway point today? Number
1: one. Polypharmacy itself. Just talking about the sheer number of medications that somebody is taking has been known to increase the risk of poor outcomes in older adults. Looking at that med list, how many meds is somebody on? Should they be on all of those meds? And what are the interactions and the risks? or those adverse drug reactions age-related physiological changes it can literally increase the risk of adverse drug reactions especially in somebody who has renal compromise and is filtering or clearing the meds at a different rate i don't expect any clinician to remember what each drug does or even what each drug name is because you got generic names and brand names this can get really confusing but know your resources you can go to a website www.drugs.com anyone can do this and There is a drug interactions checker where you can plug in every single medication that a client is taking and look at those interactions. And then take a look at were there multiple physicians prescribing? Are they talking to each other? Sometimes we're the common denominator between various scopes of medical practitioners who are prescribing these meds. The American Geriatric Society just updated the Beers criteria. And for anyone who doesn't know, This provides an explicit list of medications that should be avoided in older adults. Evidence-based provides the rationale for use of each drug, along with the graded strength of evidence supporting the recommendation.
0: So the first thing is pay attention, and then if you see something, go and check that. Really, really easy to do. Drugs.com, as you mentioned. So polypharmacy and adverse drug reactions, you might be the difference maker, the one that spots it first as a PT, as an OT, as an SLP. Correct. (laughs) Number two. Where are we going next?
1: Medications that actually do increase the risk of falls. Not only is it just the sheer number of meds that somebody's on can increase that risk, but then there's certain drug classes and certain medications that are actually going to increase the risk of falls in our older adults. First one being drugs with anticholinergic properties that are commonly prescribed. These are drugs that block the effects of acetylcholine in the body. So antihistamines, Parkinsonian meds, muscle relaxants, antidepressants, antipsychotics, antiharythmics. There are so many. And the elderly could be taking it for anything from muscle spasms to overactive bladder, insomnia, anxiety, vertigo, seasonal allergies, even the common cold. But here's the problem. So many drugs have these anticholinergic properties that it can result in a fancy term called a high anticholinergic burden, which is really the cumulative effect of using multiple medications with these properties. Research is showing that this cumulative effect can be associated with everything from falls to impulsive behaviors, poor physical performance, loss of independence, dementia, delirium, even brain atrophy. Really important to take a look at what meds they're taking. Other classes of meds that can increase risk of falls for a variety of reasons include benzodiazepines, non-benzohypnotics, narcotics, sedatives, antihypertensives. Benzos are pretty common as a prescribed psychotropic for use of anxiety. Also to help prevent insomnia, agitation, delirium. But here are the negatives. Benzos have been associated with cognitive decline, impaired driving, falls, fall-related injuries such as hip fractures in older adults. Now, the recommendation is to try and avoid using them as a first-line treatment for anxiety. Antipsychotics are sometimes used to treat for dementia, and they've been associated with not only a risk of falls and fall-related fractures, but also acute kidney injury, and as well as over-sedation and worsening of cognitive function big things to take a look at.
0: This sounds like more communication and paying attention to what medications your older adult clients are on.
1: Correct. <laughs> number three.
0: All right. Number three. Where do we go?
1: All right. I want to talk about statins. Let's talk about statins. Um, this is an interesting one. And recently was discussing this with a physician who refers clients to our practice and he really got on a soapbox about it. And for us as clinicians, it's really a good thing that people are taking a look at them. So statins are a class of drugs known for helping to lower blood cholesterol levels, thereby decreasing risk of heart attack or chest pain. Common brand names usually end in OR. So Lipitor, Crestor, Zocor are a few of the big ones. Here's the problem. Research is showing that in older adults, these drugs should really not be used as a primary prevention for cardiovascular disease. Why do we care? Myopathy is a common adverse effect of statins. And as we know, myopathy is a disease in the muscle where the muscle fibers aren't functioning properly and resulting in muscular weakness. So statins should be used as a secondary preventative tool in older adults and is really questionable as primary prevention. And that's a good discussion to have with some of our referring physicians.
0: I'm seeing a theme here. It's communication and paying attention to the symptoms and the things you're seeing as a clinician. Exactly. Number four. Number four, it's about timing.
1: Timing. So the timing of meds related to activity. When working with anyone who receives a breathing treatment, such as albuterol, you certainly want them to receive this treatment prior to their therapy for optimal pulmonary performance. Same thing with Parkinson's meds. Uh, levodopa, carbidopa, commonly combined as Sinemet. Know the on-off times for your client and know that if they're not performing optimally one day or they appear to have a regression, maybe it's related to the timing of their meds that day. And you can proactively optimize their performance by knowing those on times. Another one, opioids obviously a big push lately to help get people off of opioids due to dependency and negative side effects such as constipation, sedation, orthostatic hypotension, but know that older adults are also more susceptible to opioid-induced psychotropic reactions such as confusion, anxiety, hallucinations, and dysphoria. So a lot of people will turn to NSAIDs for pain relief, aspirin, ibuprofen, but then you have to watch for anyone who has a compromised hepatic or renal function. (laughs)
0: Number five. Wrapping up with number Mm -hmm. five, it's about safety.
1: Safety education, beta blockers. We obviously know that if anyone's on a beta blocker, we should not be monitoring their heart rate as an indicator of exercise intensity. So literally just taking a look at what they're on, but you can monitor their exercise performance. We know we need to use the RPE scale in that case with the Borg or modified Borg scale. Anyone on a blood thinner, if somebody falls or told you they had a fall and you start to ask those red flag questions. Well, did you hit your head? Could you have hit your head and not remembered it? That's an automatic trip to the emergency room to rule out a brain bleed and something that somebody might not think to do. Meds that cause orthostatic hypotension. There's a lot of them. Opioids, antipsychotics, antihypertensives. Be able to identify, A, what is true orthostatic hypotension or that 20 millimeter Mercury drop in systolic and 10 millimeter mercury drop in diastolic BPs within three minutes of a position change. And then A, do they really need to be on that medication that might be causing this? Another communication factor with the physician. B, if they do and they're experiencing this, educating the client on how to decrease the risk of falls. And, you know, sitting after they sit up, sit and wait a few minutes until that dizziness passes. Same with standing. Don't try to go too fast. Another one is diuretics. A fair number of older adults are treated for hypertension by using diuretics because they fairly safe and well-tolerated. But then we got to think of their safety. How often are they getting up in the middle of the night? Is the pathway to the bathroom clear? Are there obstacles? Is it clearly lit? These are things that can pose a fall risk for a different reason. So kind of thinking outside the box there. And then clients with uh, diabetes, making sure that they're readily checking their glucose levels and they're aware of the signs and symptoms of hypo. Or hyperglycemia especially type 1 diabetic or anyone on insulin timing of their meals and medications and with exercise can be really really important and in an emergency know that it's always okay to give some type of juice or sugar to boost their glucose levels as long as that person can still swallow obviously so if they're low it can really bring them out of that dangerous zone and if it's okay that little bit of extra isn't going to
0: hurt them perfect but that's
1: all I've got on that
0: <laughs> as we checked the clock we came in just under 10 minutes perfect Thanks for listening to Foxcast PT. It's brought to you by Fox Rehabilitation. Fox clinicians work hard, love their work, and get the respect they deserve. Sound good? Then you'll love the autonomy to work in your own style and the support you get to achieve excellence. Plus, freedom and flexibility to have a personal life whether it's your first day or you've been around for a while your contribution is acknowledged and rewarded that's what makes fox a success happy well-trained clinicians make great health care are you a fit for fox find out now at foxrehab.org